Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. A couple of things before we get to that message, really important uh, songs this morning to frame our mind and to frame our hearts for the text that we'll be looking at and uh, the timely reminder that we need Jesus Christ every hour. Uh, Some know that more than others at the stage of life or the conditions of life that you've entered into the worship center with this morning, but let it not be lost on all of us that we are in desperate need of God's help every day, every moment, every second, in fact, to live for His glory, particularly in a world that continues to spiral out of control. This Memorial Day weekend, we recognize and remember many who, who lost their lives for Western civilization, this nation uh, that uh, we live in. And I often wonder about that sacrifice being in vain when I see all of the, the structural changes and all of the, the philosophical changes, the very makeup of Western civilization changing before our very eyes, and many of the freedoms that they died for eroding away uh, seemingly on a weekly basis. And uh, we're going to tie that reality to the text that we look at as well. But on this Memorial Day weekend, of course, we honor those who lost their lives for this Western ideal, this nation called the United States. I want to take you back to to last week and and just bring some further clarification to our uh, COVID-19 restrictions and announcements that we made, trying to keep up with the science. Again, I'll remind you there's a difference between science and political science. We have to be very careful that we don't fall in one direction or the other. But based on guidance, if you've had a vaccine, we're not going to require masks. Also, some have lived through the COVID virus, had been infected, and, and, and now have recovered from that. A study just released this week, a longitudinal study that uh, you'll probably be um, exempt from that virus for the rest of your life if the statistics of this study are, are, are verified. And that's good news for a number of you. But more than anything else, we had five different points, and uh, whenever you have five points, when someone's struck by something in the first point, they never hear the other four. So let me just sum this up. This day forward, we're championing the sanctity of personal responsibility. We're also celebrating the respect of persons that is necessary when we come here. When you approach someone who has a mask on, put your mask on. When you approach someone who has a mask on, don't make light of or make fun of that. Now, if they're in a hazmat suit and they have a big shield and four masks on and some of this other ridiculous stuff that's taking place, put your mask on so we don't see you laughing, okay? But, 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 but here's the reality. Sanctity, personal responsibility. We're going to let your conscience and the Holy Spirit be your guide. We will make room, as we've announced. And over here on the east side, we will find a section here and then the whole pocket riser there. If there are those who are convinced that they still wish to desire a mask and social distancing, those sections will be available for you. We ask that everyone else honor those sections and the people who sit in those places. And um, we're going to try the best of our ability in spite of 
what I believe the intentional divides that are taking place within the community at large, not to be a part of that divisive nature. So there's room for masks, there's room for social distancing. We've still blocked off some sides for all of us. It is the sanctity of personal responsibility, but I do ask that you would respect the decisions of everyone else here. And I can't emphasize this enough. If you approach someone in a mask, put your mask on. Well, I've been vaccinated. Put your mask on. We're asking them to honor you for having been vaccinated. I'm asking you to honor them. Just, just put your mask. It's pretty simple. It's the way it ought to always work in the household of God, this respect for each other, knowing that we're all thrown into this mixing pot of First Baptist and Johnson City, and when you stand where I've stood for 20 years, you realize we don't all think alike. And sometimes it's hard to find two of you that, that, that think alike. So let's just respect each other as we move forward and champion the sanctity of personal responsibility. Now, some really good news on the whole COVID front. Last fall, we took a celebration offering, and we earmarked $15,000 of that offering to go towards the assistance of other ministries who were reeling uh, as a result of this COVID uh, pandemic and infection and, and uh, perhaps some loss of revenue in other areas. Over the past uh, probably 10 months or maybe a little bit longer than that, we have given out all of those funds. We've given out those funds to most recently a church in Pennsylvania whose pastor died of the COVID infection. We've come alongside of them. We're going to even help them in pulpit supply till they find a pastor. We gave an additional amount of money to a church in Long Island who, again, lost their pastor due to COVID. And uh, we felt that we needed to come alongside of them and, and, and bless them in that whole transition. And then a smaller ministry in the Adirondacks, they received an equal gift as well. So the monies were distributed by three or to three separate local church ministries. And this smaller work, their founder died of COVID. And uh, I believe that his son has taken over for him now. But as they were reeling as a result of all of this, I want you to know that God has used you to bless them and their ministries. And they were overwhelmed that as a local church, we would do something such as this. Of course we would. It is the right thing to do. So I thank you for your generosity, and uh, I will celebrate with you the fact that we were able to use these monies to come along directly to ministries impacted in greater ways than ours by this COVID pandemic and encourage their hearts. We'd ask that you pray for each of those ministries, uh, one in Northeast Pennsylvania, one in Long Island, and one up in the Adirondacks, that you'd continue to pray for them as we continue to minister to them as they recover from this and do the work of the ministry, the same thing we're doing, just in a different place. So, and please know today, God used you to bless them, and I think that's a really good thing. Again, in your Bibles, First Peter chapter 4, Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, 
living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will also give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Pray with me, please. Father, I would ask that You'd bless us as we spend some time in this text this morning, that You'd encourage us, that You'd challenge us, that You would remind us of the battle that we're in and the promise that we cling to in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And I pray that we would be thankful for the blessings and benefits that we have as a nation, and yet be quick to protect those benefits and blessings, particularly the freedom of speech, that the Word might continue to come from this place into a lost and dying world. And then when we lose that freedom, may you equally find us faithful obedient in the Spirit, speaking truth to a culture that doesn't want to hear it for your glory alone. But I also pray that you bless us to, to reckon with the sufferings of Christ and the holistic impact that it has in our lives. I pray that you remind each of us the price of our salvation, the glory and the holiness for God through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, to shape us and to fashion us after your likeness. Remind us that we're a work in progress. We're not home yet. But remind us that there's got to be progress. So in some way, in some manner, may there be progress in all of our lives this morning as we indeed reckon the sufferings of Christ to the age in which we live and the call to how to live in this age. And may we live according to the Spirit of God as a light and salt in a world of darkness. May, may you use us for your glory, not just with other like-minded churches, but thank you for the privilege provided to us to come alongside of them. May we live for your glory in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And may it always be for your glory. May we become small, I pray, particularly as we wrestle through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. I would remind you, in the course of life and in the course of the Christian life in particular, that we find ourselves in the midst of a battle, and it's more than just a political battle. It is a spiritual battle that has political overtones. But we are reminded in Ephesians chapter 6 by the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We're to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil that we'd be reminded that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As we know and understand, as we feel that pinch and experience of spiritual warfare, 
I pray that you would live through that warfare, having been equipped and fighting that good fight, knowing that indeed a better day is coming, where Jesus makes all things new. The fulfillment of His atoning work is finally complete when we see Him and become like Him, for we shall see Him as He is when the battles of this life are left behind and the victories of the next life are, are celebrated in the very presence and before the throne of the Lamb. Somehow in between those two times, may we learn to find our way from a biblical perspective through this spiritual warfare that is ever real and present seemingly every day in our lives. And as we learn from it, and as we grow from it, and as we protect ourselves in it, and as we equip ourselves to fight it, I pray that our attention, again, according to the text, would be drawn back to the things that we've already talked about. Beginning in verse 18, Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ suffered for you and I. He suffered once, and it was sufficient. It was over. He never had to suffer again for the cause of sin. And He suffered as a righteous one for all of our unrighteousness. And upon faith in Him, we receive all of His righteousness in spite of our unrighteousness. We are sealed by His Holy Spirit, and we are called to, to be made alive or to live in that Spirit of God. So, Peter says in verse 4, since. Because of all of that, since therefore Christ su- suffered in the flesh. Just a reminder again over His ultimate victory over the real painful reality of the cross of Calvary. Because and since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh… Peter calls us to arm ourselves, to take up instruments of warfare, to put on the armor, to fight the good fight, to to, to somehow um, put ourselves in a situation where we can resist those things that happen in our culture, this spiritual warfare, as a result of what Christ has done for us. And he says to put on, even in our minds, the same way of thinking that Christ had when He suffered for us. And that's an interesting way to say that same kind of thinking. And there's no doubt that our thinking changes through this process of sanctification that takes place over the course of our lives. And the older we get, the, the more clear things become at least in the spiritual realm. It's not always true in the physical realm, is it? (laughs) The older I get, the less clear and the less recall. And I know your face. I've talked to you 10 times. I just don't know your name at this very moment. But but in the spiritual realm, as we grow in grace and in knowledge, we see things so much clearer. Sometimes that clarity is is lost on our age and our gray hair, but that clarity is really important, critically important, if we're going to arm ourselves with a way of thinking that says, whatever it takes, whatever the will of the Father is, that was Jesus in the garden. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but thine be done. 
And he calls us back to the suffering of Christ and, and instructs us to arm ourselves with that kind of thinking. He is, in essence, saying whatever it is that the Father has in store for you, and you say, I don't know what it is, and neither do I. Never promised us that he would tell us what tomorrow and the next day and the next day would bring. He simply told us to make the most of every opportunity. Today is sufficient for the evil thereof. Make sure that you're walking in the Spirit and, and not in the flesh. And this is what Peter is conveying as, as we put on this obedient mindset, this submissive mindset to Christ, changing our way of thinking and acknowledging that there may be a cost, but whatever the cost, this is how we must live from this day forward. Faithful, faithful faithful to the Father. So, as Paul says to the Ephesians, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Peter says, because of the suffering of Christ, arm yourselves with that same kind of thinking, a willingness to accept suffering for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The victory over sin can be found and rooted in focusing upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and the reality that that finished work in Christ has freed us from sin, although we live in a sinful world, and has freed us, believe it or not, to suffer for the cause of Christ. How do we put on the mind of Christ? How do we put on this thinking that we live faithful to the Father no matter what the consequence, no matter what the experience, no matter what it is that we face in life? R.C. Sproul in his commentary on 1 Peter makes it very clear. We have to search the Scriptures. This is a very serious matter, the searching of the Scriptures. We simply cannot find the mind of Christ in 15 minutes a day. We must immerse ourselves in the Word of God if we really want to progress in this battle. Some of you are depending on all the wrong things. It's not that you don't know life is a battle. You know that very well. It's not that you don't know that Christ won the battle because of His suffering. You know that too very well. But when it comes to arming yourselves, sometimes we become so full of ourselves that we forget that we need Christ just as much today as we did the day that He rescued our souls. That's sometimes easy to forget. Christ died to save me. I'll take it from here. That's not what Peter's saying. That's not what Paul was saying. They're saying, you're in a battle. You're no match for the evil that is in this world today. So you need to be prepared for this battle. You need to arm yourselves. You need to equip yourselves. And you do that through the Word of God. And we try so many other ways to make that a reality. Well, if I don't do this and I do this, then I'm good. If I feel this, I'm good. If I, if I don't feel this, then something must be wrong. No, the Bible doesn't talk about those things. The Bible takes us right back to the suffering of Christ, and we're okay only in the midst of this battle when we acknowledge that we still need Him every hour, every moment, sometimes second by second. So we equip ourselves with this thinking, everything to be faithful to the Father, and when things begin to, to unravel and suffering comes, 
We embrace the suffering, not retreating into our sin. We, we, we cease from that, and we boldly wade into the spiritual warfare that sometimes is deeply painful in almost every area of life. And we do the right thing because it's the right thing out of honor and faithfulness to the Father. Certainly, we know that the deliverance of Christ has delivered us from sin entirely and completely. Those who are in Christ will never stand before Him any day in eternity and give an account of their sinfulness. It's been paid in full through the suffering of our Savior. That doesn't mean you're innocent. It doesn't mean you're not guilty and they're two different things. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It simply means it's been paid. It's done. It's over. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as Christ removed our sins from us. That's a glorious text. You say, well, what do I do in the midst of this struggle? Because I don't always do the right thing. He's saying, you need to do the right thing, but you never will if you never recognize your need to equip yourselves with the Word of God and remind yourselves that you need Christ every hour in the midst of the spiritual battle. You can't do it by yourself. How many of you have tried? Don't bother raising your hands. I'll have to call out the rest who didn't. Every single one of us still, in many ways, tries to do it all by ourselves. We can't. We never could. And in many ways, that's where Satan and the spiritual warfare is won. He's convinced us that we can do this alone. We can't. So arm yourselves. Get prepared for the battle. Put on the same way of thinking. Be reminded that because of the suffering of Christ, sin, sin is no longer the controlling influence in your life. So as to live the rest of your life when you acknowledge that reality, so as to live the rest of your life the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, to be faithful to the Father, to be obedient to the King, to yield ourselves on a regular basis, even moment by moment, to acknowledge that we need Him every hour. Christ's final and ultimate atonement and in definitive past solved the issue of sin in your life and in my life, in the moment of faith, I was clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is a glorious text because I look in the mirror and I don't always see that clothing. But that betrays that I think somehow I can do this by myself. I never could. Only He could do it. And I remind myself of that and I remind myself that He could do it, He has done it, it is done. So, in the midst of this battle, what is it that I need to do? I need to live the rest of my time in the flesh, no longer driven by my human passions, but by the will of God. How do I know the will of God? Well, I'll pray a little bit more. I'll, I'll try and do this, this, this mystic kind of thing, and, and I'll, I'll flip the Bible open. I'll point out a verse, and God will speak. Just stop it. You acknowledge that you need Christ every day, and you immerse yourself in the things that He's told us in the Word. And sometimes the answers to the questions don't come as rapidly as you'd like. And sometimes it seems like God is quiet. 
maybe what he's simply saying is, you need me every hour. You need to learn that moving forward. Wrestle with living this, this life. The rest of the time that we have in the flesh, no longer for human passions, we ask ourselves, is this even possible? Paul wrestled with that in the book of Romans. And he said, now if we have died with Christ, Romans 6, 8, we believe that we will also live with Christ. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. The same thing we've learned by Peter's text. For death hath no longer dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Paul connects the dots. So uh, we have to live our lives every single day understanding that Christ died for us according to the Scripture. His suffering must be somehow lived out in our life. We have to prepare ourselves for the battle because it's still a battle. And we have to cease from sin, yielding to these human passions of our former life and yielding ourselves to the righteousness of God or the will of God reflected in Scripture. Paul says that in Romans 6. He says, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't, don't give over to those human passions, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. How did that happen? The suffering of Jesus. Peter tells us that. Paul tells us that. Uh, that we're to present our, our, our members, our, our lives, our, our, ourselves as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments from for righteousness, your, your thinking, your, your speech, your, your attitude, your demeanor, how you carry yourself, for sin will have no more dominion over you, for you are not under law but grace. Peter is saying the same thing. Listen, there was something that happened in your life, and it happened at a definitive time in the past, and here's what happened. As you came to faith, the fullness of Christ's atonement for sin became the fullness of your atonement for sin. And sin no longer controls you. He released you from that bondage. He's released you from that that old life where the devil made you do it and you were depraved and that's all you could do. No. He's released you from that. He, He has broken the power of sin in your life. And because of that, you need to live the rest of your time in the flesh not in the brokenness of the former life, but in the will of God. You say, well, I can't do it. Paul says in verse 15, sometimes he wrestled, doing what he didn't want to do. In fact, doing what he hated. Sometimes he wrestled, not doing what he really wanted to do, knowing that he hadn't attained and had fallen short in in some sense. And he draws the conclusion that, that as long as we're still in this flesh, we are wrestling with this flesh, this, this, this sin that, that has dominion in our body, we still carry around sin in our flesh. We have been delivered. It is done, but we're waiting for the completion of our salvation. What does that mean? We are waiting to get rid of this sinful body, to see Him and become like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and to no longer struggle with sin. 
But as we wait, we must reckon ourselves dead to sin. We must go back to the sufferings of Christ and say, He died. I am free from that and declare sin hath no more dominion over me. That's the only way. That's the only way that you can live according to the will of God and not according to the passions of the flesh, to go back and understand the full impact of the suffering of Christ. It also robs us of our excuses to say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, I'm just human, Pastor Jim. Indeed you are. A human that has been released from the bondage of sin, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and set out on a course to fulfill the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, and to no longer live in the former passions of the flesh. Now, someone try and argue that we don't need Him every hour. Because if you try and do this in the flesh, you have already succumbed to the enemy. You can't do it in the flesh. We, we still have sin in the flesh. That's why we're awaiting the completion of our salvation, and it'll be a battle, and it'll be a struggle until we see Him, and then it won't be anymore. We'll have a glorified body. You know what that means? You're going to look perfect, white teeth, your hair's back. No, that's not what that means. How vain is it? You're still living in the passions of the former life. You're not going to win a beauty contest. But you will finally and fully be clean of sin and any remnant of the former life. What a glorious reality that is. Finally, we're home. It's done. No more struggling. Paul so vividly says, I have to beat my flesh every single day. This is a wool. But here's what he says here. I find that there's a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That's the spiritual warfare. I want to do the right things. I think what Paul is saying in Romans, and I think even Peter in a broader way is, is trying to communicate to us, is that sometimes our desire for righteousness falls short. And sometimes our resistance to the passions of the former life Well, let's just say they're insufficient. Does that mean somehow that the suffering of Jesus was not enough? Peter's saying, of course not. His suffering was of course enough. The problem doesn't lie in the sufferings of Christ. The problem lies in us. Let's reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Let's see ourselves as ceasing from sin, even if it results in suffering today, to live the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer according to our human passions, but for the will of God. I love how Paul ends that glorious section in Romans 6 and 7 by concluding, I'm, I'm a wretched man. <laughs> I'm not where I want to be, and I'm well aware that I'm not where I want to be, and I'm not who I want to be. A wretched man that I am. There's still work to be done. Who will deliver me from this body of death? What does he say? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. His suffering was enough. It's already been done. 
I need to reckon myself dead to sin and alive unto God. Sin hath no more dominion over me. The only time it has dominion over me is when I give it dominion over me. And I, I know you're working through this right now. And you're saying, wait a second. I don't think it's that easy. Did you ever hear me say it was easy? No, what you heard me say is you need him every hour. Stop putting Jesus on a shelf. Yeah, he saved me from my sins. Thank you. I have it from here. And recognize that you're walking around with this sin in the flesh, the things you want to do, you don't do, and et cetera, et cetera. And yes, this is a struggle. And sometimes we're not the men and women we want to be. Sometimes we're the very men and women that do things that we despise in others. Oh, wretched man, who shall deliver me? You know what he says? Body of death. When am I ever going to get rid of this body of death, the passions of the flesh? I thank God through Jesus Christ. It's already been rendered powerless, and there's coming a day when you'll never struggle with it again. So every single day, you have to live and arm yourselves with the same way of thinking in Christ, in His suffering, suffering in the flesh, ceasing from sin to live for the rest of the time. Now, don't for any second thing that Jesus struggled with sin. He didn't. He didn't struggle with sin. He's he's speaking to to the way we live our lives and making a choice, no longer to live according to our human passions, but for and according to the will of God. And as we're in the midst of this battle, we must not allow ourselves to be taken captive by the law of sin But in our minds, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ by arming ourselves with the same kind of thinking, whatever it takes, Lord, to rid me of those human passions and bring me to the place of righteousness, whatever it takes to somehow move me from an attractiveness to the passions of the flesh, to an attractiveness to God in the Spirit and fulfilling the will of God, even if that means suffering. And remember, when he's talking about suffering, he's talking about even unto death. Lord, Lord, help me to get there. Help me to renew my mind. Help me to reconcile myself in all of this. And be reminded that the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Remind me that I don't need to live there, and I cannot live there any longer. That's a part of my past. Those are the passions I'm trying to eliminate. Those are the things that I'm fighting in this spiritual warfare, some of it directly related to my experiences of the past. But the the past suffices for doing those things. You're not that person any longer. This is the problem with the easy believism in in the church today that that is preached so verisely. Listen, everybody listen. This is really important. Yes, you struggle with sin because it resides in your flesh, but you're not the man you used to be, and you are called to walk in newness of life. There must be something that changes, and it can't be changed by the will of man. It is only changed by the sacrifice of our Savior. As we go back and understand 
the holy, perfect being, Jesus Christ, bearing the penalty and the weight of all of our unrighteousness so that He might clothe us in His righteousness. We needed Him to rescue us. We need Him every day to rescue us. He has given us the resource of rescue. He has filled us with His Spirit. We have to stop living according to the passions of the former manner of living. Now, some of you are so astute, you'll say, yeah, I don't do anything in that list. I'm pretty good. No, just, just hang on a look. Just hang on a second. Be very careful, for pride comes before destruction. And just because you may not deal with the same besetting sin that someone else deals with, you got them. You got them. We all are struggling with something, right? We all have some human passion that wrestles for control, and there's choices that need to be made. But those choices can be made because you no longer live the way you used to live. You're different today. Why are, I, why are we different? Because of the suffering of Christ. You see Peter's point in all of this? It's exactly what Paul was trying to communicate to us. Living and sensuality, living all kinds of vices. See, this is the problem of legalism. We come up with a list like, like used in this text, and, and I'm not calling Peter a legalist. He wasn't. He's just giving us some of these things that were part of our former life, and he says, you no longer do that. And we say, well, we don't, so we must be okay. That's the legalism. You are only okay in Jesus Christ. So reckon yourselves, indeed, dead to sin because of his suffering and alive unto God. Let sin therefore not reign in your mortal bodies, and you need Him every hour. Just like the Holy Spirit, sometimes we put Christ on a shelf, and we think, well, he, he finished it, and it's over. I don't need that anymore. You need it every single second. You can't imagine. Maybe you can. Spiritual warfare that I begin to fight as the week kind of winds down and Sunday's coming, the distractions that come from the flesh the distractions that come from the craziness of this world, the distractions of doubt, the distractions of, can I do this? Do I have the energy? God, what, am I the right guy for this? That's the spiritual warfare that takes place every single day in our lives. Mine may be different than yours, but you know what I'm talking about. Oh, wretched man. What's the answer? Oh, thank God, Jesus Christ has always been the answer. <laughs> and I need to go back to the time of his suffering. You know what the problem in many Christian lives are today? We have forgotten the ugliness of sin because we've forgotten the holiness of God. And the more we appreciate his holiness, the more we see the ugly nature of our sin and the reality that we need him every hour. Just having a conversation with a man this morning. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. I respect him. We're just talking about life and the stage of life we find ourselves in. And I said, you know, spiritual maturity has helped me understand this battle more than the spiritual accomplishments of my youth. I, I always knew sin was bad, but I didn't understand how bad until I understood the holiness of God. Why couldn't I have known these things 30 years ago? Did you ever have this conversation? God, why didn't you tell me this 30? 
Yeah, you know, I think in the midst of the battle is when you learn the most. But if you can't keep the sufferings of Christ, the foremost, the holiness of God and the ugliness, if you can't keep all of that straight, you can't win this battle. You can be drawn back into the passions of the flesh and the old manner of life, and you're in and out and in and out and in and out. That's not the way to live the Christian life. What you need is Jesus every hour. Just what we sang about. Not just for salvation, but just to survive. Just to be sustained so that we go back to living sensually with, with, with the lust and the sinful passions of the flesh, the, the, the habitual intoxication, and, and certainly it's talking about alcohol, but there are so many other intoxicants out there that, that wrestle for our attention, that give us this high, talks about orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Other things becoming bigger than what Christ has accomplished in us. So we live differently. We stop doing those things, and we stop being a party to those things. And if I'd only known 40 years ago, guess what? 40 years ago, God was still working in my life, and it's taken Him this long to get me where I need to be. And someday, I'll be finally home. Children and teenagers, pay attention. There's a reason for the wrinkles and the gray hair. And we're not smarter than you because we're smarter than you. I'm reminded of that commercial. We know a few things because we've seen a few things. And we saw a few things, not in somebody else. We looked in the mirror every single morning. And we realized the wretched man that I am. What am I going to do? I thank God through Jesus Christ and his sufferings. Everything's going to be okay. If you follow me, that's the victory. So in our Christian counseling, you just can't say stop it (laughs) because you don't have the ability. We go back to Christ. Where do we start our worship this morning? In Christ alone. That's not just salvation. That's every day of your life. And it takes the hard, disappointing experiences of life sometimes to get there. But even when we think we've gotten there, there are still battles to be fought, still passions to be conquered, still this tendency to, it's easier there, particularly in persecution. Remember that Christ suffered and arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, who suffered in the flesh and ceased to sin. With this respect, as you pull away and start becoming refined, as you grow in grace and in knowledge, with this respect to this, they are surprised. These Gentiles, these unbelievers, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. What happened to you? That's a great question. Let me tell you. I go to a Baptist church and I'm a deacon. No, that's not the story. The story it's about Christ and what he did in his sufferings. You, you follow me? Come back next week. Come back every week. That, that's just a, not just next week. Next week we're going to talk about what is the story that we're supposed to be telling. And you know what the problem is? There's too much of us in the story. That's what Peter's trying. There's too much of you in the story. When they come back at you, 
When they're surprised that you're not joining them in the flood of debauchery, you have a story to tell. You know what that story is? The sufferings of Jesus. That's what the story is. That's the hope of the gospel of salvation, the atoning work of of Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, when you're around someone who's always I, 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 run away from that person. Not going to help you. Not going to help you. Can't even help themselves right now. Sometimes you just need to pass those things. I don't have time for that stuff right now. I got my own stuff to deal with, and the only way I know how is to reconcile myself dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. The only way I know how to do that is to understand how perfectly holy he was and how terribly depraved and without hope I was until he found me and through his sufferings changed everything. You know, my greatest grievance today, it's not the world that rejects me. Sometimes I get more respect from them than I do in the household of God. It's that the church of Jesus Christ has become so infantile in its spiritual growth and development, and the people with gray hairs don't exhibit the gray hair kind of thinking they need to. <laughs> We're still babies desiring milk instead of meat, that the people in the house of God are surprised when we say, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. How grievous that must be to God's Spirit. What an offense to the holiness of God. And I can say this to you. Stop it. You know why I can say it? Because if you claim the name of Christ and His sufferings, He's taking care of that. So stop living that way. At the same time, the only way to do that is to acknowledge our need every hour and every minute of every day. They're evil. Their motives are nothing but evil, but that's not your motive today. Don't join them in their debauchery. And when they malign you, and they will, he's not saying they might, and they will. Be reminded that they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's a powerful line in Peter's writing. Every single person ever born on the face of this earth will stand before a holy and righteous God and give an accounting. Every single person person. The Bible describes it this way for the unbeliever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sits on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if any man's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We do not want to talk about death. We do not want to talk about Hades. We fear talking about these texts because they might be offensive in a lost and dying world. But for those outside of Christ who haven't reckoned his suffering, who haven't been rescued from their sinfulness, that is their ultimate fate, eternal damnation torment. There is not one single person alive ever since Adam that will escape divine scrutiny. And it ought to cause all of us to shudder just a little bit. Don't worry about them. All of us will come under divine scrutiny. For all the talk of justice in our culture today, there is no justice outside of Christ. But in the justice of Christ, everyone under divine scrutiny will give an account. For the believer, we read from Paul, we're always of good courage then. Why? Because of the sufferings of Christ. For we know that while we're yet at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We're wrestling with a sin in the flesh. Things we want to do, we don't do. And we're crying out for help. And we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't live by the passions of the old life. But, but according to a, a, a willing submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords, yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's not His plan right now. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. By arming ourselves with the same way of thinking, even if it involves suffering. For we, the believer, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. Divine scrutiny. Now, here's the difference. The divine scrutiny of the unbeliever rests on their rejection of the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And their divine penalty isn't because they did bad things. Their divine penalty is a result of their sinfulness, and they're without Christ and His sufferings. For the believer, we will come under divine scrutiny as well, but we will not answer for our sinful nature, for Christ conquered that in His suffering. We will answer for how we lived after that, whether it was according to the passions of our former self or according to the will of God. We'll be judged on how we lived our life, but no one, no one who's been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ will be thrown out of heaven before the throne of God because they are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. But you and I will be scrutinized. Every idle word and give an account. Now, do you understand why we got to stop dealing with this nonsense and focus on the things that matter most? And you realize how much you need Him every hour? For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way He does. A couple of ways we can take that text. First of all, this is the reason the gospel was preached to those who once believed and are now dead. They were judged in the flesh by the people of the world. In other words, 
They came to the end of themselves by this people who maligned and hated them, and they were martyred for their faith. Well, that changes the text a little bit. Are you saying that we have to be open even to be killed for our faith? That's what Peter's saying. It wasn't just words for Peter. He would die for his faith, according to tradition, crucified upside down. Because he understood, finally, the sufferings of Christ. Did he understand that right off the bat? Yeah, you better study him a little bit. He, he, it took him a while to get there, but he got there. That's true of every believer. It might take you a while, but you get there. And as you reconcile the sufferings of Christ and His holiness with the ugliness of the former way that you used to live, there's a purification process. That's why the gospel was preached. It's the hope of all people of all time who place their faith that God would provide a way to the suffering of Christ. So, to those who are still alive, live in the Spirit the way God does. Keep things in perspective. Put away the former passions of your life, and live soberly and righteous in this present age, all because of what? Again, it takes us back to the suffering of Christ. Make no mistake, he's not talking about a second way or a second option. He is simply saying everything boils down to Christ. You are in Christ or you are not, but every one of us will be under divine scrutiny. Paul says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. In the midst of heartache and persecution, in the midst of suffering, maybe in the midst of your weariness in the battle. Do you ever get weary of the fight, the spiritual warfare? Do you ever just get worn out? Paul says, it's wearing me out. It's It's wearing me out. But I'm reminded that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I can't just look at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. I can't look at my suffering. I can't look at my impending martyrdom. I can't even look at my own brokenness. I have to look at what is most important. And what does Peter say that is? Christ. Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I know I'm speaking to some folks this morning who've been beat up and you're tired of the battle. Hang on. We win. No, no, he wins to the suffering of Christ. Don't, don't lose hope. Don't lose your way. Don't throw your hands up and go back to the former passions of the flesh. That's a dead end. Reconcile yourself alive unto God through Jesus Christ and dead to your sin. And in the midst of that battle where you're so prone and tempted and often fail, remember that you need Him every hour, not just for your salvation, every single hour as we attempt to live Coram Deo before the face of God. It's always been about Christ. It will always be about Christ. And we will gather together in the presence of His throne and sing praises to the King. What a glorious thought. Put away 
put on, change your thinking, reckon the sufferings of Christ, and find your freedom that you might be free indeed. For none of us will escape the divine scrutiny that comes in the very near future. Father, bless us, encourage us, challenge us, teach us. Sustain us with a reliance on Your Son for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to live soberly and righteous in this present age for Your glory. We are tired. We are weary. Grant us perspective that it's always been and always will be about our Savior. Teach us how to be free indeed, waiting for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Sustain us in the midst of the battle, I pray in Jesus' name.